0: pretty happy that I was here on time and surprised because I was taking a really intense nap.
1: I just I get this picture of you like on a pillow just going, honk shoot, honk
0: shoot, honk shoot. <laughs>
1: intense napping.
2: So the rock naps. Put the power in the power nap.
0: Yeah. If there's a way that the rock naps and that's it, I will do it.
2: I assume me naps while like facing God, just like God give my protein and even when I'm sleeping. <laughs>
3: Like every time he naps, the hierarchy of sleep changes.
1: He snores, he, you know, he curls with his lower jaw.
0: He's got like resistance bands all over the place. And then he's just like slathered in avocado of protein.
2: I feel like we're veering into fantasy territory, Emily.
0: Listen.
4: <laughs> Stone. Okay.
2: Millennials
1: and their avocado rock. All right. You guys ready to talk about this? Yeah, sure.
5: Why not?
0: All
1: right. Let's do this thing. Yes. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking movie about a movie that perhaps more than any other movie we've talked about before has heard of subtext and thinks it's for cowards. It's time to talk about Tales from the Hood. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cine- cinephiles and bites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight?
3: I think the exact moment I realized what, what kind of movie I was in for was when the racist cop in the first story was literally named Strom. That was the one, like, we're just straight up naming dudes after Strom Thurmond was the moment when I knew subtext had left the building. Its services
1: would not be required tonight. One of the characters is named after Strom Thurmond. One of them is basically Strom Thurmond.
3: Named Duke? Just straight up named David Duke in what, I'm sorry, when did David Duke run for governor? What year was that? 1991 so like four years after yeah. david duke actually runs for governor they have duke running for governor yeah subtlety got told to fucking blow itself and get fucking die this movie this is a movie where straight up martin luther king jesus tells people to get vengeance
1: <laughs> and of course the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host emily martin harry tonight emily
0: i'm doing good i knew what movie i was in for the second that they showed a skeleton Mm -hmm. with a smoldering cigarette and sunglasses great on the title card did not expect that skeleton to appear in the film and he does and it's it's i'm into it i'm into it it's
1: a rad skeleton
0: yeah he's he's very rad
1: and we have two guests today both of whom are, are friends of the podcast First writer, filmmaker, and educator, Jay Joseph Jr. Jay, how are you? Good to have you back. Thank you very
5: much for having me back. When I first knew what I was in for first movie was um, when you set out the list of movies we are going to watch, because I've seen this, I forget how old I was, I saw it as a little tip. Two other times since then, this will be the fourth time I've seen the movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and there, our second guest, my good friend and English educator, Emmanuel Lipscomb. Emmanuel, long time no see.
2: I know, right? Uh, I'm super pumped for this. This movie has everything you could hope for: creepy children, creepy dolls, creepy flying hypodermic needles. It's just lots <laughs> of good stuff. Yeah, it is. It is full.
3: Oh, that—that's my new favorite stand power: is syringe kinesis.
0: <laughs> What's the name of that
3: stand? Who's the mutant showing up to Krakoa? Which is like, I have mutant. I have the mutant power to control syringes.
0: <laughs> just, just syringes, though. Just feels-
3: syringes. <laughs>
1: That feels like an early two thousands X Men story. I guess that's it's, a, that's some that's some
3: real JoJo power. Is I can only control syringes.
0: It's a it's an image comic situation. Uh, it's
1: it is a thing. So I I do the sure straw to recap this one tonight. It is four and a half stories. So there's a lot to recap, and and also at the same time, not much to recap. It is directed by Rusty Cundiff. It is written by Rusty Cundiff and Darren Scott. It stars a veritable who's who of that guy from that things. <laughs> There's Clarence Williams III is as uh, close to a main character as this movie has. He, You may know him as Link from the Mod Squad. Uh, we've also got Joe Torrey. We've got Corbin Burnson, David Allen Greer, Paul Jai Parker, Rosalind Cash, Tom Wright, Wingshauser. There's somebody in this movie that you've seen in Another Thing, probably three or four of them, that you're like, oh... I know him from something It's broken up into four vignettes and a framing story, which sort of ties into the fourth story as well. The framing story is about three extremely straight out of central casting inner city thug <laughs> types who are here to rob the Sims funeral home. When they knock on the door, they encounter the eccentric mortician played by Clarence Williams, the third Oscar. Yeah. He's doing as much. He's doing as much as everybody else in this movie put together, he's really, he's really feeling it. Apparently, this mortician found some drugs hereafter referred to only as the shit that the gangsters want, but he just wants to tell some fun stories about people dying to them. Like this first one about Clarence, a black rookie cop who sees a couple of white cops beating up a black activist and tries to speak up, though ultimately, I guess he trusts these racist cops to deliver this man they've already beaten nearly to death to the hospital while he goes and waits in the other car that doesn't happen Clarence. clarence it's very clear that these guys are okay they're cool with murder but clarence is going to trust them to take this guy to the hospital of course they inject this man with drugs his name is martin and they roll his car into a lake with him inside killing him and I guess then Clarence spends a whole year drinking and throwing things at mirrors because there's only one scene here and then we're told it's a year later as he hears the voice of Martin, the activist, telling him to deliver the bad cops to him. Finally, on the anniversary of Martin's death, Clarence, who has quit the forest at some point in the last year, calls the bad cops to Martin's grave where they proceed to start pissing. As again, not much unsettled here. Martin is willing to let one guy piss on his grave but not to, because when the second cop decides to piss on his grave, he grabs him by the nuts and pulls him into the ground. While the other cops plot to kill Clarence in the background, Martin pops up out of the grave and chases the cops on foot, and then in their car, and then on foot again. Murdering one, and then crucifying the third one onto a street mural, into a street mural. It's very strange. I was very unclear on how, what that method of death was.
2: He also like melts first. Like he gets he turned does. into paint yeah. and they were put into the mural.
1: Yeah, he telekinetically needles the guy to an image of the cross on this mural. He melts into the wall and then is in the mural. Just
2: like the Bible.
0: Like in a velvet Buzzsaw. I,
3: I guess he got liquefied so he could then be paint to then be a painting of himself on the wall?
1: That doesn't sound right, but I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah, I think Emily was saying the same thing. I was thinking as watching this, which is this is not the first time in this uh, podcast that we have seen somebody be killed by being incorporated into a street mural. Because uh, we did also watch Velvet Buzzsaw, where that same thing happens to a character. Man, that um, rule! Really-
3: and if I had a quarter for every time a dude got died by being incorporated into a mural,
1: That's fifty
0: cents, fifty whole cents, and i know. fifty
3: cents. And I could I could pay for a whole hour of parking for that,
5: depending on the town. I say, I say, not so many of you haven't watched Ghostbusters two on the podcast. I uh, know we haven't talked about <laughs> Ghostbusters two yet. <laughs> not yet,
0: yeah, not no. yet. Yeah, we
3: could talk about Ghostbusters one, but oh, it, it'll have to happen eventually. That oh, I mean, yeah. it's Ghostbusters. It's where they bust the ghosts. Yes. Oh like, yeah, that's no, what no I hear.
5: it's just saying a Killing people by putting them into murals was a very popular thing in the 80s and 90s, apparently.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, a transmutation of <laughs> well, drama. I, I'm I'm digging here. I it's, think it's
3: because it's an inherently fucked up way to kill somebody that isn't inherently gory. Except for this movie where the dude gets melted down into melty gooey bits and then fuses into the wall. Yeah. So they...
1: He gets Raiders of the Lost Ark before he (laughs) fuses into the wall. Um, It's
3: a lot. I kind of love it. Because normally getting fused into a painting is a great way to kind of have your cake and eat it too. This movie decides it just wants to eat a shitload of cake.
1: Yeah, it is not the cruelest fate that anybody suffers in this because that belongs to Clarence, who just wants to be left alone. But the ghost is like, nah, man, you should have spoken up and done something about it when I was still alive and needed you. So he gets locked in a mental institution where two guards just deliver unneeded exposition outside of his cell forever, I guess. And um, apparently he dies because we, we're
0: looking at his corpse. Yeah, the, that yeah whole... he just dies from
3: being insane, I guess, is the implication. Yeah, He that, just insanes himself to death.
1: That whole sequence where he's sad in a mental institution and two guards stand outside and talk about how the, basically recite what happened at the end of this thing, but you know that he got blamed for it, I guess to us at the end just always a great way to end a movie end a you know short film within one of these by recapping what just happened in the
2: film also wild because those deaths like one guy's underground, crotch first, another dude's like decapitated, and the third guy's a painting like how do you how do you explain Don't
3: this? forget about? There was a heart that was still beating in a dude's hand.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, there's, well, I mean, who was doing the, the investigation of that particular crime? What was that
3: murder trial like, where they were like, okay, so Clarence must have dug himself into this other grave so he could then crotch first. <laughs> Which, from the bleeding, the autopsy indicated was the wound of death. That was what? the first one. Was crotch. How first, do you even go into the to the gray. gym to
2: build up that strength to like one arm drag someone into the ground? I mean, I don't know. Once you've got somebody firmly <laughs> by the nuts, I don't think as much they can do
1: resistance wise.
0: But the ground, I has think it's resistance. really more
1: of a grip. I think it's really more of a grip strength exercise. Yeah. Either they're coming. I mean, their nuts are coming with I or without them, them. So I'm that's I'm really their choice.
5: True artistry of the of the nut grab here. Though. Because it's not only that he's been grabbed by the nuts, but it's that he's grabbed by the nuts. And then he managed to newer his whole body to bash his head against the headstone a couple of times. Yes. And then Jack Munger by the nuts. Yeah.
3: Fucking as amazing as the, all the cathartic violence is. I really like after strong peas on the grave, just the other cops like react. Like deadpan, all of a sudden not wanting to be their reaction of literally just going, in the deadpan way to go strom that's pretty cool I do
5: want to... <laughs> I, yeah I... I want a disclaimer this isn't even the craziest
1: fight of the movie yet yeah yeah uh so no. let's let's go on to story number two which is about a young boy called walter who is being haunted by a monster in his house who's rattling his door at the beginning his teacher who is rusty Gundith, the director himself notices bruises on Walter and asks what the deal is. Walter says he's being attacked by a monster in his home. He's also getting his ass beat by a bully at the school. Walter gets an idea from a classmate to draw things that scare him and then overcome his fear by destroying the pictures. Walter is a little more literal in this, as when he crumples up the picture of his bully from school, he suddenly breaks both the kid's legs and arms as he's going down some stairs. Much to the general teacher's surprise of like we don't know how he fell down the stairs and managed to break both arms and both legs it's pretty wild so the so our teacher rolls up to walter's house unannounced and finds walter's mom there hot and hardly dressed she invites him in the teacher tells him tells her about this monster and about what walter's been saying which causes her to yell at her son and about spreading these monster stories that he's been telling while the teacher is there, a car horn honks outside. Clearly everybody tenses up and we learn that the teacher is very bad at social cues because he does not seem to notice any of this has happened. At which point David Allen Greer walks in playing, I guess the boyfriend of the mom. The relationship is never discussed. He is already cussing and yelling here at the point that he comes in about not coming to the door or coming to his car or whatever. He's clearly abusive from the second one on screen. He doesn't seem to notice that either and doesn't realize this guy is obviously the monster from the moment he steps in. And then without knowing anything about this guy or his relationship to the kid and why everybody seems to be terrified of him, just starts telling him everything about the kid and this discussion that they've had, which, I mean, just to start out with is like, would get you in all kinds of trouble as a teacher, but well beyond that is just bad. David Alan Greer kicks the teacher out and proceeds to absolutely start beating the hell out of Walter and his mom. This is not like uh, a this movie... soap opera abuse, open hand slap fall to the ground thing. This is like he's delivering several punching blows to this woman. Um, well, this movie has a lot of horrific violence, but what we also get
3: a strange number of is these like Open palm like martial arts strikes, yeah.
2: What was that? What, he like what tiger, tiger I... palmed her, like, yeah. He,
3: uh... he tiger palms like surprisingly often in this sequence. Like, there's still some just like old fashioned slaps and punches, but like, I mean, the tiger of... palm is a surprising frequent weapon in his arsenal. Like, oh, yeah,
2: listen, I... 80s and 90s were just like that. We'd all been watching martial arts movies, and it was just Star in Trek. our minds. Everyone I, I the lead here, but
5: it kind of evolves into a uh, full-on WWE cage match as the fight continues on.
0: Yeah, it's very campy.
5: Yeah, I, mean,
0: I appreciate this Things
3: one just beginning and
0: immediately
3: delving into if no setup, just full-on child <laughs> on child violence.
1: Yeah. yeah, the teacher comes in to, I guess, help or stop this, and he Did proceeds to also get his nothing? ass beat. It's like he he also just straight up gets his ass beat by this guy. Finally, yeah, this Walter... is
3: quite the role for the director to put himself in, just the like ineffectual teacher who gets his ass and just handed to him.
1: Yeah, by by noted comic actor David Allen Greer. Like, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I'm not saying that you can't take David Allen Greer seriously, but like that's an interesting choice as well. <laughs> So, Walter finally saves them all by finding this picture of the monster that he's drawn and folding it sharply across the arms and legs, causing David Alan Greer's arms and legs to bend at unnatural angles and for him to collapse in on himself. And then he sort of twists the whole paper and causes his whole body to twist up. And they go ahead and cap this off by having the mom step on it with her heels and blood gush out of it. There's a very, like, interesting framing of all this with the, there's a very step-on-me vibe from this, which is a little bit uncomfortable. But finally... do
3: we want to start talking about the mom?
1: His performance
5: here while he's getting... Because he comes in and he's, like, this very serious, you know, type. And he initially plays the role with, like, a quiet rage, I think. But as the fight kind of... Goes on and and it does get into like this like ridiculous you know Dragon Ball Z martial arts kind of slugfest. At a point, he's
2: beating all three of them. Like, yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> like and 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 then, and then he just like starts throwing out like these like street level insults at them. He's like, you know, I like I like I'm gonna beat your little ass up. The shit ain't over yet. Like some stuff like that. That's like just really. <laughs> just stuff, like, I like what he so had, yeah.
3: I liked when he had a tattoo that said monster just in case there was any fucking ambiguity about what was going on. It was about no
0: subtext whatsoever. Like
2: that's the other thing is like, you don't. if you're whooping my ass, you don't have to tell me it's not over yet. Oh, I know. It's still happening to me. He's he's afraid of moving between punching
1: three different people like he's just cutting a hot tag in a a tag team fight. He's just knocking people (laughs) every which direction.
5: And see, that's the thing. The part of this. It's, it's 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 not funny because it's it's it is, it is a scene of of domestic violence. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I I part of me feels like it's just kind of the way it's evolved over time. I I, I think it just doesn't translate well do today because you know in the nineties that that I feel like that kind of over the top stuff was more everywhere.
4: Yes,
3: yeah. There's also that while it's horrific domestic violence. It is also coming at the hands of david allen career no. just being an unstoppable wrestling heel
0: yeah i i have some things i have some questions i want to pause it to the forum about this uh let's,
1: let's hold that till let's we get be, to yeah. the end part because we're we we're finished with this story because the teacher then is like you know okay. we know what he has to do he has to put this crumbled up piece of paper on this gas stove which you couldn't have this story now liberals you know and <laughs> He, he puts the crumpled up piece of paper on there, and David Grew ignites mostly off screen. And you know, we go back to our gangsters who see his burned up corpse in this uh, in this box, and we go on do, to story number three. Well, do we
3: want to talk about the mom now or later? Later, oh, later. later. Okay, because you we know. definitely
1: need to talk about the mom in this. Yeah, because yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get to the feminism section of this eventually. So, but now it's time, for... Mom. <laughs> What might be the absolute wildest story of this group? It certainly, yeah. feels, certainly feels like the wildest to me. Definitely the most cartoonish. And this is about our white supremacist, Duke, who is running for Senate, who bought an old plantation house where a bunch of enslaved people were murdered by their old ma- old master uh, rather than let them go when they were free, when they were supposed to be freed. Time Between then and now, a woman is referred to as a a voodoo witch or an old voodoo woman in the story made a bunch of dolls and put the vengeful spirits of the dead into those dolls that now I guess are supposed to live in the house and are in a like there's a painting of her and all of these dolls on the wall which is very plot important as we go through this so this guy is living in this house regardless of, of all of this And it says he's looked around for the dolls and, you know, there's there's no dolls to be found in this place. So it's all, he thinks it's all a bunch of bunkum and hooey. So there's, there is one doll whited out and missing from the painting. He proceeds to trip the racist would-be senator's black campaign manager, making him fall down the stairs and snap his neck. The doll then shows up at the funeral and Duke is only just now starting to realize that this doll tripped his, his campaign manager, made him fall down the stairs. Duke pitches this doll out into the road, but the doll comes back anyway. He attacks Duke. Duke catches him and crucifies him on a dartboard. There's a lot of crucifixion in this movie. And then proceeds to shoot him several times with a shotgun. He then goes back in the house, and we we notice that several more dolls have disappeared from the painting. And there's a lot of mostly just running around. No, No actual sightings of any of the other dolls before he eventually ends up back out in the hallway and sees the doll he thinks he's killed reassembling itself. Um, And it chases him around. He runs back into the room with the painting and locks the door. And now all of the dolls are missing from the painting. He tries to to run around and shoot some, but mostly he just collapses against the back wall and gets overwhelmed by this group of dolls who proceed, it seems, mostly to bite him to death with their wooden teeth. Um, Yeah, they do. (laughs) dozens of these things and then i mean
3: deservedly so because that whole sequence where he's running around not seeing a doll is him going from room to room yelling increasingly creative uses of the (laughs) (laughs) n-word
0: i was there were some some stretches there i mean it's all bad but i've some it's like in the craft. I was going to say,
2: you're like, is this still racist? Are these there are some things
0: he says in this
3: movie where I'm like, I'm not even going to write that in my notes.
2: Yeah, I, I was mean, like, I this did. is
1: this is like Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained level of, <laughs> <laughs> of like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, finally, because this movie loves unnecessary exposition and really putting caps on things, the. Voodoo woman disappears from the painting and appears in the room and sits there in her rocking chair and watches her dolls eat this man. I love no, that. I
0: love that shit so much. I that was will. her just yeah. rocking,
3: giving him this ten guy while he's fucking eaten to death by dolls.
1: Has, Hell yeah! I really just think, also. I just feel like she should have just said bitch. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's really all that's
4: scene was Weird
3: meant. exposition. How much exposition is delivered by Duke in this? The level that he goes in knowing about it. But by far, my favorite character in this whole fucking movie is Eli, the man in the strange hat whose energy is just dialed all the way to 11 the moment he enters the frame.
0: That, that dude is what Jeremy said something about the casting call. That dude seemed like he was someone that they found in front of a. He uh, <laughs> yeah, was like
2: a time traveler. Like I'm like, yeah. you don't talk or look like anyone else here, but like you're showing up. Like he's going to what's going to do it. <laughs> that, that is,
1: incredible. is <laughs>
2: incredible.
1: Yeah, they do seem <laughs> that this this This, look, soul, this one is house, the, the soul. This man just seems like a, just seems like an angry prospector. Telling him about this. <laughs> 100 house full of dolls it's it's wild he pops up two different places in this in that one short film and now he's fucking incredible both times yeah he he is he he seems like he's probably somebody's uncle that they catch in this movie he doesn't even really get i don't think you even really get like a full-on shot of his face there's a lot of like the back or side of him as he's yelling at people and this leads us to our fourth of these stories which does interfere with the like which does interact with the frame story at the end. And this film could just be called What About Black on Black Crime or A Clockwork Black. Yeah. <laughs> I I
5: I, oh, I have like the exact same thought when I was watching it. It's like, you know, it's yeah. just like well, we had to get to that eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't now, know. I don't like, once he shows up, up kind of idea, or this just sounds like it might have been a white producer's note that they're just like what about you make one about how it's wrong how black people do some bad things to each other too? It's like when he comes
3: out and they're like tying him down, especially on the crotch. I have my notes. Are we watching a sex crime happening?
0: Yes. Also, that yeah. is like directly from a Nine Inch Nails video. Like that shit well, is like direct. Like there's even- there's a lot of like Nine Inch Nails-y shit going on there. I'm here for it. And like the this. It's also like Hellraiser 2, like they're in the fucking asylum from Hellraiser 2. There's a lot of fetishy shit about that. Like, the But also
2: ball- like, just wardrobing, like I saw his, he's got like these like, like black dynamite, boxy brown sideburns, but also with this stintled K, K above it. I mean, it on on. Yeah. What is happening? He's shaved into his hair. Holy I don't sh- know how to explain to my barber to reproduce that haircut. Like, could yeah, you like, cut my hair very short and then
1: paint sideburns onto my face because that is literally what's going on there. I mean, okay. So this is like, we go back to the mortuary and they see another body and the three gangsters immediately recognize this dead body as a guy that they say they've just seen around town, but they seem very spooked to see his body here. The mortician tells a story about this guy. and Now he shot a bunch of other people and then gotten to shoot out with a group of three. Shadowed characters in this who, you know, shoot him and then are cornering him, but then are he's ultimately saved at the last minute by police intervention. Which so, many even cops. Yeah, like even the he, most cops ever, even he hangs a, a lampshade on as it's happening in the movie. So, this guy, whose name is Crazy K, spends his first years in prison, I guess, between scenes, only for a, a doctor with white dreads who is played by Rosalind Cash to offer to get him out scot-free if he participates successfully in a behavioral modification experiment. Naturally, he agrees. Of course, we think it's going to be a clockwork orange thing. It is sort of a clockwork orange thing, but they start with him getting locked in a a cage next to a very vocal, scary white supremacist who has all the white supremacy tattoos. He's, He's the pokemon collector of white supremacy tattoos he's got to get them all don't
3: ever say that <laughs> gotta hate them all nazi mon
5: no i feel like he walked straight out of american history x to be in this movie <laughs> yeah
0: yeah he was very american history x he's taken several
1: turns through american history x just to get all of these tattoos you know <laughs> he's been in the
3: green room you know You went for like the Nazi tattoo punch card where it's like nine, eight
1: symbols and your 10th is free. Yeah. So they, they tie K to a platform and then specifically crank, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. A wedge, a a crank onto his nuts very specifically. Um, It's like
0: a C clamp. It's like the bottom end of a C clamp. It's a nut screw. I don't know. And
2: also I've met a doctor. But the like the stickers usually go on your chest, not on your nipples. Like Yeah, right
3: <laughs> on his nipples. This is the most Well, I gotta say, when he first comes in, my first thought was like, okay, yes, I would also like to be tied up and taken to the like the leather short skirt laboratory.
0: I know that all of the nurses in their crazy like sci-fi leather outfits, the orderly, That's- the male orderlies are just like You know, wearing orderly outfits, but like I wanted to see the orderlies in outfits too. Like, if the nurses are in, like, come on.
3: There's some like really good, like, cheesy, aggressively horny, like, B movie sci fi energy going on with the last one.
1: Yeah. So they basically do a racialized version of the Clockwork Orange thing here, where they intercut pictures of his crimes and his victims with the crimes of the KKK and Nazis and various lynchings by other white supremacists. And they really want to drive home the point that this guy has also killed a lot of black people like those groups have. And now it's time for him to go into sensory deprivation, which is usually done in a tank. But for some reason, they put him in a chair and lowered into some sort of drained pool in a warehouse under this place. I don't know know what
3: sensory deprivation tanks are.
2: And the ropes drop down. Like, (laughs) they have no plans to bring him out.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Also, man, this whole sequence where it's just, like, endless fucking strobe blade right at your face. Like, I found it, like, Physically hard to watch.
0: Yeah, we should put that in the content yeah. warning. True. Like, my warning. eyes
3: is like I just kept needing to like look away like from the screen. It was legitimately giving me a headache. Yeah, yeah
5: no, I had to look away at them. It's funny because there's actually the one story I didn't remember going into this movie a fourth time, and I think that might be a major reason why I just couldn't look directly at it. So like your brain was erased by the strobe. Yeah.
3: And it's not like Like, short, overwhelming, like, sequence. Like, it goes on for minutes.
1: And it makes it very difficult to tell what's going on in this sequence because you're just having a hard time looking at it.
0: It's like it's doing to you what it's doing to him.
1: Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) He sees each of his victims throughout this. They start out with, like, rival gang members, guys that, you know, conceivably were also trying to kill him, and then... It moves to guys that he's killed, and you know various drive-bys and stuff who maybe weren't a direct threat to him, but were, you know, he thinks still justified. To eventually moving to random children who were caught in the crossfire, and his conclusion from seeing all of these things, and you would think, you know, maybe having a Scrooge moment where he redeemed himself, but no, his conclusion is fuck them kids. He ain't sorry for anything he's did. He is not apologizing and he's like, what about all the shit that happened to me? I ain't sorry. So the doctor lady says she's sorry to hear that. She really wanted to try and save him. But at this point it's over. He closes his eyes and he opens them again. And he is back in the street where he was at the beginning of the story with three shadowy characters standing over him and they shoot and kill him. There's no, no police involved this time. There may never be police involved. They they fucking straight up did a
3: Jacob's ladder on us.
0: Yeah, they f- some Jacob's ladder shit. They Jacob's laddered
1: stuff. the hell out of us. Yeah. yeah, he he gets blown away. I'm a little unsure if Rosalind Cash is supposed to be God in this or or what, but that really seems like the kind of the direction they were going with it. Is you know that he gets a he gets a chance to finally like, uh oh, what I did was wrong, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do better, and refuses yeah. to. So he goes ahead and gets killed. What's that? These three formerly shadowy figures are actually the three guys from our frame tale. They're onto the mortician. He told them this story to fuck with them, they're sure. And now they want the shit immediately, or they're going to kill him, or possibly end they're going to kill him. Um, and he says, sure, it's down here in the basement. It's in these caskets. Where else would it be? And takes him to the caskets, and oh no! They open the caskets, and they're actually full of bodies. But they're the bodies of them. Dead. They're these gangsters that are dead, and the, mortician, zone. the mortician's eyes start glowing, and their guns turn red hot, and they fall on the ground. And he's not actually a mortician; he's the devil, and this is what? hell. And he says this, but that's not enough for him to say this. That reveals too subtle. So, before their eyes, he morphs into the giant horny devil, and the funeral home falls away around him, and there's. Giant pits of fire, raw, it's hell. The end, obviously. <laughs> but this then they all start like
3: fucking... Harlem shaking in the fire. Oh, so, yeah. Terrence Williams with that reveal fucking brings it.
0: He sure does. I, it's one of my favorite <laughs> It's great. So Jay was talking about how
2: like he's seen this like four times or what have you. I've never seen this to my knowledge. I remember this reveal, I remember this scene exactly like. As soon as it started, I was like, I've seen this. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> if it's like a, I wandered into the room and my parents were watching it kind of thing, but like, I distinctly remember this reveal. It's like, it's probably like one the the
5: most shared scene from this movie. Yeah. It you did know? not be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, yeah. no subtext. This right. is hell. <laughs> I mean, very <it> really <laughs> clearly, like, this is the the character that Tony Todd was like, had in mind when he's the final destination version of this character, who's not the devil, but has some creepy thought, knowledge and abilities, and is, is yeah. doing basically this same act. The, the wildest part is that they used the split between this actor's teeth to like have a god. early 90s CGI light yeah. tongue. So, yes. um,
3: oh my god, that fucking tongue! That was like fucking 2D anime drawn yeah. on flash. An- I don't even know what the I, fuck that was. It was, was. It, was it was CGI, but it was like but- Speaking to Tony Todd, *Rogue Cop Revelation feels almost like a short story pitch deck for the candy
5: for like the most recent Candyman film. Yeah, a little
0: bit. A little sure. bit. Yeah.
5: If Candyman was a vengeful Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which where's that movie? I mean, it's a little sad.
3: I feel like at this point, you bit. know what? I feel like that'd be a hell of a fucking thing to have to bring to Coretta Scott and be like, hey, do we got the green light
1: on to, for, for production on this or what? Wait, is that what our friend Martin is about? Sure.
5: I was telling you this before the film, but there are actually two sequels to Tales from the Hood. Yes. That's a wild sentence. Yeah, <laughs> that's your sequel. The second one's a bit of a trip as well. And they do the same thing where, like, Emmett Till comes back as a vengeful spirit into this because 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 a in real cop Re- revelation they give him some name like Morehouse or something he was generally representative of right Martin Morehouse yeah. yes but in the second Martin movie, it's
2: Ezekiel just- Morehouse is that what it was
5: <laughs> oh my god yeah in the second movie it's just straight up Emmett Till it's like amazing, yeah. amazing.
3: I love that this. I love that this franchise somehow finds a way to get less subtle as it goes on.
0: I, I appreciate this movie being like a TV Tales from the Crypt that is, you know, just so straightforward. Like I, I, you know, we talk about how this movie has no subtlety, and. I can appreciate that. I mean, the the, the moral quandaries of each that's are sort of the crux of each episode, I guess, are, you know. They're not
3: that deep. It's, you know, yeah. it's domestic abuse. It's, you know, police brutality. It's Just
1: general racist.
3: explicitly a racist yelling, you won't get reparations.
5: Right. Yeah. Corrupt, corrupt politicians in general, especially, you know, in the post-Reagan era, yeah, uh, it, yeah,
3: the whole you know, it's very in your face as to what real world evil each one is supposed to be about.
1: So I do want to ask what everybody's favorite one of these is, or even just like a oh, favorite definitely
3: KKK comeuppance.
1: Yeah,
2: without 100%. question.
3: I mean, it's the Jews get a shout out in that one. Come on, <laughs> how can it not be my favorite? They're like black and Jewish groups hate this guy. I'm like hey there
0: we are i I think that one's also my favorite i do like the idea of the kid like the idea of the kid being able to crumple up people yeah as drawings like i like that idea like that's the thing that i like about the movie that i appreciate about it is it's like this twilight zone situation where they're like what if and it's a right. sentence and then they make a, a vignette about it and right. you know there's t- the twilight zone existed for however long just doing that and i feel like you know there were other things we can explore from like different voices and i think this movie does that but so the I, i got a little confused with the bit about walter because i thought it was walter initially that he was talking about in the in the coffin but i think it was actually the the stepdad or, oh, yeah. Boyfriend, or yeah, yeah. The boyfriend. Yeah, he's
2: all burnt up.
3: I figured it wasn't. It couldn't have been Walter because I'm yeah. like, that feels too dark to just be like a child's corpse in there. Yeah. So any
2: day, one day, yes, yeah. he crumpled himself and this is where we are.
1: Yeah, they don't show who it is at first, but all of the guys react as if they've seen something real yeah. fucked up. And then, you know, at the end, we see sort of the the boyfriend's charred bones sticking out of the. Yeah. Carpet. Also,
3: I mean, I know while he is a fucking ridiculous racist monster. Corbin Bernson is kind of ridiculously fun to follow. Yeah.
0: He really does like, sell he, it.
3: He puts in a pretty, like, really enjoyable performance.
0: And I mean, he's this, this is all comics, cartoon writing. Like, it's all very, like, I think, you know, it's for young people because all, you know, how straightforward these
3: stories are. We're dead on with the Crib Keeper reference. Like, in the beginning when they go up to and the funeral home and the door opens, I kind of flat out just expected the crib keeper to like show up like in the funeral home.
0: I think the funeral director is so much like I love the funer- funeral funeral director. Oh, he's great. So much like putting his lit cigar in his pocket.
2: <laughs> it's so good. When he's not as self-aware as the crib keeper is right. We don't get all of those puns and like yeah. looking at the camera. He's just like, I'm weird and creepy. I'm gonna continue to be so. He's the devil. He doesn't have to overdo it, you
0: know? Yeah, he does he's got some subtlety in that regard, I guess.
3: I think my favorite tiny detail in one of these is in the one with Walter. And it's in the beginning when the other kids are just like beating the crap out of him, and there's like one fucking white girl, like super blonde white girl who somehow got into yes. this school and she's in the background and she is just snarling out for blood rooting for this fight going on.
5: Yeah, she's like the first one to notice it and all that. Too. She's like running yes. over and just yeah. can't wait.
3: There's just one little blonde girl in this fucking <laughs> school and she is like here for yeah. blood.
1: He grew up to work at a Waffle House.
0: Blast. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 doll episode i thought was the most compelling and it also introduced them more like the most complex dynamic of the film for me which was the campaign manager and the politician yeah because like the the campaign manager doing his whole like example speech and him being like, God, I'm a rowdy too much and like all this kind of stuff. Like, I really wanted to know more about that character before he fell down the stairs.
2: Right. They have the most character complexity. I think. The
0: campaign
3: manager, specifically Roger Guinevere Smith's like joie du vie that he brings to it, really feels like him and his character is in like the act one of a rom-com. Where he's, like, successful, but douchey. And now he has to learn how to be a better person through love.
2: Too bad that doll snapped his neck.
3: And it's going to, like, end with him quitting the racist candidate. But instead, he just falls down the stairs and dies.
5: I, 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 well, here's the thing. I, I think, actually, because when I was watching that story, I was thinking, initially, that's where the story was going to go. Because I had distinctly remembered that. But I have recalled afterwards, that does end up being a thing in the second movie, where is okay. it... And as, the, and, as the end of the Till story, not the same actors, but it follows like the same course of where you have this, you know, black politician willing to, you know, throw a bunch of black people under the bus to make sure this white guy gets elected. And, and it follows really from that person's perspective. So
3: it you, feels like there's a natural kind of civil rights movement Scrooge, like Ebenezer Scrooge story to be told. You will be visited by the ghost of Martin Luther King Jr. Day's past, present and future.
5: Yeah, like it, that's that's quite literally what happens. He's visited like by the spirits of all these past black activists and they're judging him like, you know, you know, quite set it up as, oh, you'll be visited by like ghosts of the civil rights movement. But it's the same. Like
1: that's that's yeah, but... <laughs> hey boy. What day is it? Why is Martin Luther King Day, sir?
0: <laughs> <It's so> damn... <laughs> There's a soul every everyone.
4: <laughs> no
3: no no I it's, gotta, it's gotta
1: be we shall overcome oh
3: there we go i saw a version of christmas carol this year at a local theater in atlanta that set it in 2000 so they could have it deal with the aids crisis and they had ebenezer scrooge called ben scrooge and that really threw me off oh yeah <laughs> choices were fucking made
0: i'm curious yeah but yeah like I don't think this movie, as as much as that situation was, you know, had potential. I don't think this movie was the place to explore it. <laughs>
1: I gotta say, I I think the dull one is by far the dumbest of them. But bourbon Burnson's like cartoonish racist character yelling as he's getting into the car going, What? Can't we all just get along? Loved it. <laughs> is like, Loved it so much. Did- you
3: didn't ask which was the best. You asked which was
1: our favorite. Yeah, like I, mean, I, I feel like that one is incredibly you dumb. You know how but... often
3: dumbest and favorite are the exact same fucking thing for
1: me. You know what I'm about. He he really leans into it, and I mean that. Still, that might still be my favorite because the, like, I I well ultimately I think probably my favorite is. Domestic abuse, what well, as terrible as that sounds, but you know it does have an element of the you know the supernatural to it that's not quite as like in your face as the cops that you know. Yeah, that's does. got some like. There's so many holes. I was gonna say like interesting
3: one. magic realism, except for the fact that fucking like again, Walter's just got a straight up stand power with his like I can fold, like I can make voodoo drawings.
0: That's, I mean, the the drawings thing is rad. I it's a great I th- power. I think we should talk about how his teacher is like. Now you do the murder. <laughs> like,
2: I mean, he knows he's gonna have this kid in class Monday. He can't fuck with him. Like, he's like, I gotta stay on the good side. Like, okay. oh,
0: but I can feel we... like he should. Like, I don't know. Like, participate. He can't. You know, I feel like he's. It's a kind of a a cop okay, out. If we're so talking to about domestic
3: abuse. I need, I need to talk about the mom, this fucking horny as fuck mom, yeah. who is just immediately hitting on the teacher. There is one thing where she says, like, oh, when she's trying to explain away his bruises and injuries, and she says, the boy's clumsy, he's always falling off things, not like me, is that supposed to apply, like, <laughs> his dick? She's not gonna fall off his no, dick. Don't fall off. That's the wildest question
2: you've ever asked.
3: Is that what the imble- is that what she's trying to insinuate to
0: him in this scene? I mean, she could also be just saying that she's Limberger and she's special. So,
2: also, if she, she answers the door wet from the shower and like a rope that doesn't fit, like what what was that about? Oh that when was mean, just it, a UPS guy.
0: I think she's looking for a way out of that relationship, is what I think
2: yeah obviously it didn't work he's a glass jaw like no.
0: i well i mean
3: yeah if it turns out that kid doesn't have psychic powers that <laughs> whole family is dying tonight very different scene at the funeral home
1: in hell i i'm conflicted here because because paul and Jay parker is very attractive in this story and that's great but also <laughs> there's, there's nothing <laughs> she, going I mean, on she is, that no character. disagreements there like, she is the first woman who appears in this movie because there's none in the police story. There's none in the frame tale. And so, like, the first woman who appears in this movie is a mom who answers the door wet and half-dressed. It was introduced by a long pan up her legs. And I'm like, boy, is this movie feminist? Like, I don't think so.
3: No. <laughs> well, let's see. We have, we have the newscaster in KKK come up and... Which it really bothers me that the title of that is KKK and then the full word comeuppance instead of the last yeah. K yeah, being I... like a Like that really fucking bothers me, but whatever. We're just going to have to power through it. But then it'd be KK comeuppance. I, I think our best is Dr. Cushing, Rosalind Cash, who I believe is actually supposed to be a metaphor for Anubis, where she is weighing crazy K's heart to determine his place in the afterlife.
0: I mean, American Gods. this ain't if someone on that staff is reading Vertigo comics. Let me tell you what.
3: I, I really yeah. like how Rick Dean is credited on the cast list as
1: just racist inmate. Yeah, With the exception of the reporter, all of the women who appear in this movie are either like victims or manipulators because like. Whatever it is that Rosalind Cash is supposed to be at the end of the day, like she is a you know a doctor who is manipulating him into going through this program.
3: Again, I will maintain that she is Dom Mommy Anubis, <laughs> a sentence that I'm pretty sure nobody has ever said until now.
0: I think I've seen, I think I've seen it before.
1: Oh yeah, where? I'm pretty
0: sure that appears in a
1: mobile game of some sort.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> or or you know just. On Tumblr, yeah. There's got to be
3: some Hades spinoff fan art with Dom, Mommy, Anubis.
1: Yeah, she's you know, I, I think she might supposed to be God in this in, in some yeah. form. You know, she wears nothing but white. She has you know white dreads, and she is literally giving him a chance to avoid it would seem going to hell at the end here. Um,
0: she does the Cain
1: and Abel thing, and yeah. Oh, can we talk stuff? about that line? Bane yes. was the first murderer. He killed his brother. How many of your brothers have you killed? I was like, Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Get that line away from me. Take it back. I don't want it. Yeah, I am
3: but... worried to, to the degree of how much of her dialogue could work in a Lori Lightfoot campaign speech. Mm. Yeah. You... All right, my Chicago politics jokes not going over well. It's
4: all good.
3: I'll, I'll eat that
2: one. I just, Alicia, cut that, words, cut that. Cut me final fucking words to Crazy K about how, like, you can make a different decision. Felt like, what is it? All dogs go to heaven? Like, that you can never come back. I can't, oh,
0: can't, just right. That's also funny because at the very beginning of the movie, they basically fought, like, Charlie B. Barker, that, right, the, the activist, I'm just like a Seth. Spoilers. That's how they killed. Charlie B. Barker. I <laughs> impressive. You I, just have
2: that name on the ready. Look,
0: my friend, my friend straight up was like, I was watching it with my friend, and he was like, Oh, dude, are they gonna Charlie B. Barker him? And I was like, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking well,
1: about. <laughs> I will say that this is also the only part of the movie that Alicia saw with me. And she referred to Rosalind Cash as that woman who always plays basically whack ass Toni Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: and
1: I was like, I can't. I can't argue with that assessment of I, this character. I, she's kind I of wack. I can't fucking
0: unsee that. That's a brilliance. Oh, always my God. She, always she was the, the dean in the different world. Yeah, There's the well, episode
1: of a different world where they have to go do a sit-in in her office. And she, she's the dean who's being sat in on.
0: Man. You know, I, I,
5: I'm actually having a, a hard time picking up David's story. I, I, I think probably Boys Do Get Bruised is... I guess what I like about that one is, is that it's the only one that you'll comes close to showing any remote kind of love or whatsoever in the film. But, you know, particularly like black love, but just every story in this is like so angry and hateful, which is understandable Is you know, it's like made in 1995. There's a lot of anger going around. Yeah, but I I feel like a big thing that was missed was like any kind of community love in there, and boys to get bruised is the is the one that gives us kind of little smidgen of that with you know teaching so invested in Walter's life and then you know I I guess this new family he gets afterwards being invested in protecting one another for 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 whatever problematic ways we got there you know you know I I'm trying to figure out. What part of me likes this movie so much? I think there's a, I think, I think it's got multiple things kind of going on for me, and I think the '90s, like, like whenever you talk about like the black exploitation era film, everyone talks about like the '60s and '70s, and you know, if you talk to a lot of people who are into black exploitation and and who actually made the films, they're like, yeah, it's like empowering. We were making our own thing, and and Hollywood actually starts to confuse from us, and all that's true. And I personally love black exploitation film, but I think '90s had a little bit of a resurgence of that you know like uh, Spike Lee in fact this was made you know 40 Acres and a Mule was one of the producers on this one you know and, like- and, and in the 90s we had a lot of black folk, again going out there kind of like doing their own thing and doing their own take of things and just for the longest time it doesn't seem it, it seems like you know it seems so weird today but for the longest time Tales of the Hood was one of the very few black car movies we had gotten made by black people
0: yeah and that's I mean, one think... of the things i think is is valuable about like just having like you know why it's okay that it's like really straightforward and lacks nuance you know i don't need it to yeah say, be anything more than just like you know the the twilight zone written with black voices
3: this movie in a way is like is campy and cheesy and it it's jo- and it's very sincere and joyous in that yeah like i'm just like there is an infectious joy in this movie like yes it's a horror but it's like fun horror like there's wild performances and it's so unsubtle yet so clear and everything's just effective and i don't know it just seems like everyone's just enjoying themselves and like the effects are fun and and everything (laughs) is just there's a like there's just a level of inventiveness and creativity i mean you know, zombies ripping dudes into Graves' (laughs) dick first. Yeah. Like, KKK leaders getting, like, eaten to death, like, by dolls. Like, dudes getting, like, folded into, like, human origami. Like, there's just a level of creativity and fun on display that I think you just can't help but get swept away in with this movie. Absolutely. it's
2: fun to watch all that happen with black voices and black faces, right? Like, it's a product of its era. But... I sort of love, like, I mean, this is, again, my familiarity with David Allen Greer is in living color, which is a contemporary of this movie. And so to go from this to that is wild. But to see that he had that range is fantastic, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, um, it's it's got, I mean, whatever else it, it does or doesn't have, it's got some great soundtrack on it. I mean, we've got, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan on here. ODB is on here.
3: Fucking yeah, oh some great fucking tracks on this movie.
0: I have a question for all of y'all. I'm gonna I'm gonna zero in a bit again on Walter and his story and the depiction of domestic violence because that I'm and I'm gonna present my personal opinion, which was that the the violence was so cartoony that it felt less upsetting. For me that it, that's what it was about now i can totally understand that going going the other way and being like you know it's people being you know not okay with that i'm just i wonder how the forum feels about the depiction of like that kind of tiger paw punching you know and very pantomime like it was very very star trek violence where there was a lot of you sure. could see the gap between the the, the attacker and the victim so
3: there's definitely one. I actually thought that this movie was, you know, when it's so many like fucking tiger bombs, it definitely takes you out of it a little bit. And there was a level of just like, yeah, this very Star Trek almost stage act fighting about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there was really something stark and uncompromising about the violence that they showed. Like, you know, they were you know, the movie reveled in its you know. Over the top creative horror violence. But I thought there was something very kind of stark and honest about the way it it depicted violence in, you know, this domestic violence in the Walter story and uh, the police brutality violence in the Mm -hmm. Clarence story. I thought we're both depicted with, you know, pretty unspent, you know, as much as they were able, you know, like real, you know, a degree of realism that I did think made it, you know, effectively upsetting yeah. to watch
2: i thought too just this is one of the few places i think the movie is making an intentional choice not to be nuanced they don't want the subtlety i know a lot of times it felt like this sort of got away from them they were just being sort of bombastic but i grew up getting spanked right and like yeah. it's un- it was understood to be spanked with a belt like that was sort of how it worked And i think part of the tiger palms and like the close fist punching is the no, this is actually like this is clearly abuse. There is no well, you know, it just like it's intended yeah. to be very clear that he's a bad guy and this is unacceptable, and you know, there's no wiggle room there, so to speak.
4: Yeah.
5: So I I I don't want to lean too much on the crutch that oh this is you know made in the '90s and it's definitely a product of the time, but I'm gonna say two things here. I think first off, that was just kind of a popular thing to do back then, like in that, okay. in that period of time, like yeah, any movie you watch, this is going to be like martial arts. <laughs> they yeah. kind of stabbed in there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether fit or actually not. And I, I, but I think, you know, I think that once again, this, this is, I mean, it, not, not that this is like the first ever attempt at realistically trying to portray domestic violence, but, you know, we had, we had, a we had a, we had a couple of different movies like that maybe really starting truly from the 60s and 70s and going like onwards but people mostly stayed away from that kind of stuff and i yeah. would say even before that time period we were exiting a time period where domestic violence is just straight up played for last you know if a guy smacks a woman oh it's hilarious you know she had that coming you know oh you he, he shut her up that's real nasty woman be there oh how, how, how funny and yeah. we had transition out of that stuff and i think not in time. I and mean, don't forget,
3: this is still the era where Homer Simpson choking Bard is getting laughs every week.
5: Right. Right. Well, look, I, I, I think. It, well, here's the, here's the thing. I, I, I think that if you look at the lead up to it, right, the, the lead up to to the fight, I think that was a sincere attempt to show what domestic violence feels like. That a lot of movies were attempting to do at the time, in terms of like the whole metaphor of him being a monster. And all of that, and and like the door rattling at night, and him trying to hide under the blankets, it worked. The visual sy- symbolism kind of worked, mm-hmm. but in terms of like, I, I think what being in that position felt like is kind of what really delivered all of that. And yeah, that you you get to the you get to the fight, and it's really over the top. But I think it's not for lack of of, of trying, as I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, that that's that brings up some important points about it where. There's a lot of uh, domestic violence is very oblique when represented in in movies a lot of the time. And especially like for young people, you know, it's either very oblique where it's like, you know, this is this is happening over here. We're hearing a suggestion of this. We don't see, you know, tiger palm to the face. Mm-hmm. You know, we see we hear we hear it and we're sort of adjacent to it. And it's very rare that a lot of movies will show it full on like that, it, especially in something like, I mean, horror Horror is a context where I feel like it's important to be straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if they had done anything like that, I feel like that would have been a, a cop out where if they had been oblique about the domestic violence and only shown him as a monster or whatever, you know, while it is. A little bit more, you know, to the kind of nice literary fodder for you know your high school essay, if it was just a monster, and if we don't see any of the the abuse happening, its just implied. I feel like it is more powerful to show that this is literally what's going on. you know, right. we don't ha- we don't have to be discreet about it because it's not a discreet situation. And I mean, nothing nothing about this movie is discreet. and to its credit, I think because that's the kind of movie i mean it's a comic book it's you know this is this is the kind of these these are the ways that you know as a teen i learned about a lot of stuff it's through comic books and through you know this kind of like a lot of the 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 fiction that was referential to real world horrors was very straightforward like this yeah so yeah, yeah. that's yeah that's pretty valuable
5: input. yeah I, I think that's a great point i think yeah that's a. Uh great take yeah no it it really is you know and and i I think you're absolutely right in that it's it's not just like domestic violence there's like a a, a ton of different serious issues i think filmmakers want to talk about and they you can't figure out how to do it in in like in a way that they feel is like respectful or there's a justice so be just kind of like dance around it yeah Um, yeah i think that's a that's a great point yeah
3: Yeah, i mean i do appreciate this movie having the energy of Again, almost a WWE fight where it's like, yes, it's domestic violence, but yes, it's also got like, hit him with the chair energy.
0: There is a good versus evil, very clear good versus evil situation here. Yeah. Um, yeah like this, it, this is really
3: good about giving you catharsis. Like, the evil racist cops get their due. The domestic violent, like the the domestic abuser you know gets you know is defeated at the hands of his victims you know the cake the racist is eaten alive like it's very good about uh, it's very even if it's simplistic it's very satisfying yeah Uh, except for the last story which again i guess is our you know financier demanded black on black crime story
0: is that was that what happened for
1: real? I mean, it's it's hard to say. No, state. no, that's I just us like
3: being a little conjecture. That was okay. I feel like that's just that's just us being our you know a little silly. Okay.
1: I feel like we're very attuned to see those arguments now and be like, oh, this is this is some crap. But I think yeah. in the '90s, that was something that was a very vocal discussion being had, yeah. on the news and in media. And you know, I think I don't know. I it's I don't know how much of it is something that it seems like. Rossi kind of wanted to talk about and how much of it is something that he felt like he had to do in this story but i you know the the fourth story is definitely the the weakest of the group and i i like the general format of this movie you know it's it's got plenty of weak points just like any real anthology horror stuff does but i think like it is important in the context of anthology horror to at the point that you know Tales from the Crypt was a a big deal at this point, point. Uh, and for there to be a version of this that was specifically black with black writers and the black director and you know black actors talking about specifically like very everyday horrors, you know, there's not there's there's stuff almost everything in this is something that you know people in in the community were facing in some form or another every day. It's you know racism or domestic abuse or cops but like you know it's very specific to who the you know prospective audience of the movie is supposed to be that like these are things that they would have experienced or at least would know people that experienced just sort of turned up several Mm -hmm. levels but you know i i think it is important in that context even if like there are plenty of there are plenty of places that you could point out that you know some of the some of the actors are some of the acting is a little rough. Some of the writing is a little rough. You know, certainly could have used, I think, another editing eye to pass over some of the bits. And especially the first and fourth story. That first story, yeah, it just it really jumps from that, that murder to like him going through a montage of throwing a liquor bottle at a wind uh, at a mirror. And then suddenly it's a year later. And there's a lot of like us
2: having to infer things from the dialogue. But I ever saw him as sitting in his room drunk. I was like, "Is this just like the next weekend? Like, what's yeah. what's happening? Like, what's the yeah. time scale here that we're dealing with?" He
1: is apparently drunk in his room for a year. We we so. yeah, we really
3: yeah. needed a montage showing a calendar on the wall and like the pages falling off it while the amount of bo- <laughs> beer bottles on the table like steadily yeah.
1: grew. The scenes in L.A. changing. There's summer and then summer and then you know, wet summer. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, just just, really quickly on on that's the what's the, the story on not the poor uh, convert because i had a thought in terms of the 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 black on black violence question like jeremy I, I i think you nailed it that it was a very vocal conversation at the time and i think it was definitely vocal in black movies i think i think i let me put it this way i i, I don't think that conversation has ever gone away and i think the black community still takes it very seriously, but I think we see it so much as a cop out these days, as to not talking about everything else that's happening to us. That we like, that we just started telling people, "Look, drop the topic." Like, you like first off, it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 condescending and rude to think that we're not thinking about it, right? That this is a problem that haunts us and plays us. There's nothing that we question ourselves every day. But the second thing is, y- you know, certain people in society at, at large pretend that because that's just no other problem that we are legitimately facing that systemic or anything else, you know, can be addressed. And, and you got to remember, like I, I grew up in a time I, and I, and I especially see it a lot more present in, in conversations among like boomers and generation X. But even I grew up in a time where, you know, you just couldn't wear certain colors while walking down the street that people would like tag you or they would jump you or something like that. So it was a very real fear. And there was a very real question of like, how do we, Kind of get this to stop. How do we adjust this? So I feel like that's kind of the thing about like the overarching movie is that is that everything they talked about was something that really was like like it's almost like even though it's an anthology, I guess I'll put it to this way: it's almost like even though it's an anthology, it almost feels to me like no story could exist without the other. Like you know, it's all tied. It's all it's all things that are hitting like the Black community at once. Okay. Um. Uh, and this the, the movie really tries to like touch on all of them, and even when the when the film when the shorts weren't like directly connected, like how a Hardcore Convert and Welcome to the Mortuary are clearly directly connected, I think they were still like thematically connected to the other stories, right? Like at at, at the very start of Hardcore Convert, Crazy K comments, man, I can't believe I was saved by goddamn crap, you know, which yeah. might of uh, you know the first story, so. I, I I do think it was really born out of you know just just the social issues then,
0: yeah, for sure. I also think that I mean that I we hear a lot of the this black on black violence being brought up when people talk about BLM and you know and it's a big scapegoat for people who are trying to you know downplay the importance of BLM. Right. Yeah, and so. But I think it is really important to remember this movie's specific index. Like, was it, is it the Tupac, the hate you give little little infants fucks everyone? Yeah. Is that Tupac? Yeah. yeah. And so that was in, in art and music, that was a big subject. And it's really interesting too, because in a lot of those cases, a lot of those, a lot of, especially the music was vilified for condoning this thing that it was actually critiquing and you know and a lot of white people heard gangster rap and they heard you know whatever rap was going on in their area and they're on their radio thinking like oh this is just like thugs you know you know slur 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 right yeah. and dismissing it when it was like really real valid critique and you know like you said it was a, a big part of the discussion and of the the social issues and especially you know like it does feel especially as the last episode in this
4: mm-hmm.
0: you know i think that it does suffer from being like oh also you know <laughs> by the way you know but like you can also like people also will try to devalue like black communities and 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 not so not specifically blm but and also like welfare programs because they're like oh well well these um families are all abusive to each other and there's this this culture of abuse and you know i don't because of the that was a that kitchen was fucking awesome Mm -hmm. i just want to mention that because i thought it was cool that they were in a regular ass house like that was a that was a full house house that they were in but with a better color palette and more plants which I was like damn we got some good taste but anyway but I think that like yeah we could talk about how these issues are discussed these things you know whether it be abuse or black on black violence or whatever you know when it's not a cultural thing at all and it's you know a part of a greater problem but you know with this movie i think it was you know that's what was being discussed at the time and that was also kind of the understanding of that situation at the time
1: well i think to the credit of this movie as compared to people who will often bring up the what about black on black crime kind of argument this movie recognizes that that guy the black guy who shot people is in jail and has been there for two years and will be there for some long amount of time, and the cops who were openly killing black guys are still out on the street. Right.
5: Yes. And, and, and you know, I think yep. it I, 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 yep, yep.
1: I could even represent a bit of the conversation
5: we're having because that's as ridiculous and over the top as as he was. We still had the Ku Klux Klan member. He's like, oh, my racism is fine because you're doing the same thing that I do, you know? So, yeah. But I I just say, and then this is the last I'll mention of this section of the story. But what sold me on the sincerity of this section is the very ending when Crazy K is like, I don't give a fuck, I don't give a fuck. And he it over and over again. And mm-hmm. the reason that sold me as sincere is because that fatalism in young black men is a very real thing. Yes, yeah, so you could like talk about the, the, the social reasons and all that all day. And, you know, we could even talk about like the psychology of. Of having this attitude, oh well, I didn't have mine in life, which Crazy Kid very much has. But I think it's that just that one particular line that sold it for me because it's sh- it, it is that real, just fatalist attitude that exists in in young black men. And I think again, part of like the issue today is that you know not only does the does that conversation come at the cost of other serious stuff, it also ignores trends. Like I was saying earlier, I couldn't wear certain colored clothing around the corner but I live in the same exact neighborhood now and it's like one of the most peaceful places in the world The I haven't like shifted dramatically or anything like that it's just a better quality of life and and so you know everything's better so people tend to ignore that part because they're like oh what about the black and black violence like well depending on where you are the black and black violence has been going down but
3: What What about when it's no longer useful as a fucking distraction and a cudgel? (laughs) Right. (laughs) For, like, bad-faith dipshits. The line that when I first heard it in this movie that, like, really stuck with me was in the Walter story when he tells the teacher, he said, you wouldn't believe me. And at first I'm like, oh, damn. What a harsh thing about how hard it is to ask for help and how little there is. And then by the end of it, I thought about it, I'm like, well, hold on, Walter. You insisted on describing it as a mythical creature. <laughs> if you had said, my mom's boyfriend is hitting on me, like, everyone
0: would have believed you. Hopefully not I know I, know
3: I shouldn't blame the child, but I'm just saying, Walter, maybe there's some lessons here in terms of communication. He's
0: a ch- yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the child.
3: Yes, he is a child. But first, like, again, if you want people to believe you, don't describe
0: them as mythical beings. You're an adult, certainly. Like, if you want someone, if I mean, abuse is complex, but I you have a good point that communication is important. Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm, again, I'm mostly
3: just bringing it up because when I first, when they first said the line, I'm like, oh, damn, that makes you think. And then at the end, I'm like, hold on, I did more thinking.
4: <laughs> well, too
3: Too much. Yeah, too, too much thinking. Let's go, let's unpack this.
0: I want to respond to what you said earlier jay, about the the crazy k's response to the moral less like to the the big lesson you know, and I felt yeah, I think that that was actually profound because this is a very, very simple discussion, and if it worked if it was that easy to convince somebody of their issue you know of, of their wrongs, it would have worked you know the wrongs would have stopped by now,
5: yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I I think that that is, I agree that it's an indicator that this, there's a little bit more to it than just like, wow, isn't this fucked up? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the thing that made me laugh is you were talking about lines that really stuck with you. And one of the few that I wrote down word for
2: word was, I ain't afraid no dolls. Man, fuck a Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) That was, was that one of the ones from like, was it, but Bulldog Stack and Ball?
1: Yeah. yeah. After they so hear my the story favorites. about the about Duke being killed by by dolls, he says he's not afraid <laughs> of any dolls. Man, fuck a
2: Barbie. <laughs> I just love that they, at the beginning of the story in a frame narrative, they're talking about walking into the funeral home. And it's like, well, what if like a dead guy like comes in? He's like, if a dead motherfucker come fucking with you, you kill it. In my notes, I have how sway, Like it's already dead. Look, yeah. Like, and then he
0: says is. that and he's like, it's like <laughs> refried beans. If why don't you fry it right that first time so the real know, irony is, is that it. they're
2: dead the whole
1: time
0: <laughs> but yeah and like this place does look evil as shit
4: <laughs> yeah for
0: real. yeah and i'm like i don't know which i know it wasn't i couldn't remember which one was sack or ball i know that i know which one was bulldog but i the guy in the plaid seemed to have a lot of sense and he was like he, he was like actually being there, like being the character instead of like a cartoon character. He's like, I don't know, you guys. And I was like, yeah, let's get him.
5: I would say in terms of, of like kind of focusing on the wrong part of the film, I think that's the one that I hyper focused on because he, because he goes in there. He's like, oh, this place looks super creepy. I don't think we should go in. But well, by the reveal at the end, I'm like, well, was he going to go home? I don't think that's the way it works.
2: Maybe he just spends yeah. eternity going about his business, running errands <laughs> and whatnot.
0: So I guess when you know you're doing your like going through the tunnel of your life and all the metaphorical shit that happens, you know, as you're like processing death, don't go in the creepy ass house.
1: Don't go in the creepy ass house. Don't you ever go like, in the creepy house.
0: Yeah, if it looks evil as shit, maybe.
1: <laughs> you no, know, I do have to say the one thing that does bother me a little bit. Is that I feel like the morality shifts a little bit throughout this movie, in that like Crazy K is offered every opportunity to change his trajectory at the end, and they're like, "No, nah, like he's already dead for all intents and purposes at this point," and are are you know as presumably God characters is giving him a chance to like change his ways, but Clarence doesn't get in a three on one fight with three white cops and. And they're like, no, fuck you. You're cursed forever. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no. He
1: is kind of dumb. to think that they were just going to take that dude to the hospital. But also, what was he going to do? Was he going to like throw down with all three of these guys in the middle of? He's
0: a rookie cop on the like new to the force. And these three fucking like white supremacy cops are beating the
5: shit. Yeah, we've been like I mean, they're only like privacy principle. Cause they had like the entire drug network. They weren't alone in that. They were yeah. Like, oh, no. seriously. They had that ready to go. Like this is not the first
3: person they've made disappear. Which, <laughs> Which is this why- was, they had a standard operating
0: procedure. It was so simple for them to like lay it all on Claire. It's like I know that one guy got his head cut off and one guy was pulled into a grave dick first. But you know, with that department looking into the crime, I think that a lot of those details were just kind of.
3: Yeah, I also want to meet the cop who wrote this. and was like, so Clarence, just this normal dude, then ripped in like with his bare hands, ripped through the top, and then just pulled off a human's head using the only stripe. Like, look, man, I'm a I'm union. Like, I got a pension going. Let's just get this paperwork go, like over with and get to
0: lunch. And then later. <laughs> A man walks into an office and he's like, Scully, you're not gonna believe this. Well, it's super weird sure. f- what happened to me. What happened here, boys? He stuffed that man inside
5: the painting. Please clothes. <laughs> we got him.
0: I do want to see the X-Wiles episode where they're investigating this crime. <laughs> where they're like, wait a minute, what happened? And like, you know, Mulder is like going to the clap- mural and being like, mm. <laughs>
2: he's like white guy yeah that I, was a, I,
0: it's a wild image too
1: i don't know I, I i do want to say we talked a little bit about the lack of feminism in this movie it's yeah. pretty bad there's yeah. you know there are only really you know there's the reporter and then basically two, two black women characters what? one yeah, of whom yeah, is no, a it's bad one of whom is a a victim who <laughs> flirts with this teacher she has only met seconds before and the other one is i don't know maybe god but super manipulative, horrible God. Definitely an old, definitely Old Testament God. But yeah, Old Testament
3: for God, sure. God yeah. really yeah, likes big, to put a secret. Big play a play Old Testament energy on this God.
5: Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a, man, I, I wish I cannot remember the direct quote, but there is um, a really good documentary on the Black Panther Party called Vanguards of, Revol- of the Revolution. Mm-hmm. And there's a line like it, it basically takes you through the entire four year history of the Black Panthers. And it basically talks about how the women took over the leadership of the Black Panther Party. And there's a line in there, something about while well, the Black Panthers were focused on initially Black separatists, but then they changed to like Black unity and lifting, giving Black people the same rights. And then they joined like they founded the Rainbow Coalition and, you know, they're about unity among racists but the women in the party felt like they had never quite reached that place where they really embraced like feminism until it was the women that were forced to take over the party because you know all the men were in prison and there's like some line in there like you know we were able to like heighten the, the revolution but we weren't able to you know get them to revolutionary heaven or whatever it is and I really I'm, I'm really sorry for like butchering the quote because it's really playing a quote but it does like address that kind of i guess having a blind side when it comes to like you know women's rights and especially rights for black women i guess in the struggle you would say
1: Mm
4: -hmm.
1: yeah because even in you know the story that is about abuse her abuse is almost secondary like it is about the abuse of the child and she is also getting hit you know yeah she's not the main character of this story by any stretch and yeah i mean it it that's one of its blind spots. The second one, and this I think is largely due to the time it's come out, is there's no attempt at any sort of representation from you know the queer community from any any angle whatsoever. It is one might say aggressively straight.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a movie in the nineties. That which... that's
5: true. that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not the, even a potentially 90s, queer-coded uh... supporting character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when 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 the height of Hollywood feminism was GI Jane.
0: Like. <laughs> well Whoa, they took off Denny Moore's hair. What the fuck? <laughs> feminism you can't wait for this
3: movie to inspire a viral Oscar moment twenty-five years from now. <laughs>
0: Oh, God damn it. I didn't even think about that. It's funny because I was also thinking about how. Well,
3: fucking imagine like, being Chris Rock of all the things he's joked about in his career and that a GI Jane joke is what gets him like physically attacked.
5: Right. I, I think, I think Emily and I were on the same page because we were just thinking about, like, that like that was like, that was like the big deal that, oh, she shaded up for her here, but how horrible. It was, you know, it's like, yeah, that role.
0: <laughs> yeah. I will say also, Jada Clankett Smith. Is better like feminist character in Demon Night, the Tales of the Crypt movie,
3: which is yeah, Demon Night. That movie's amazing. FYI, is definitely my recommendation. If you I like this, this movie, like, watch fucking Demon Night. One uh, of yeah. my
2: wife's like favorite movies. The other day, like she was like, yeah, like it was like I I watched it all the time as a kid. I'm like, what? Said you hate horror movies? Like, it, it,
3: no, that makes sense. Like yeah, again, I, it's like it's in that like. It's that it fun Zane. horror. Like I Zane absolutely that get... sponge
1: from his mouth is yeah. Will never not like, be one of the greatest moments in cinema.
3: Like something like this or Demon Night, I absolutely understand. Like someone at just the right age watching and being like, "Oh, this is the movie that kicked off my lifelong love of horror."
1: Yeah, I mean sure. Demon Night is a follow through away from being Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like yeah. Demon Night is one of my right favorite there. movies we've ever done on this podcast i fucking love demon night
0: well a revelation
1: yeah speaking of, of things we love i think it's point time for us to decide whether or not this was something we love do we think it's worth people seeing
4: oh well, hell
3: yeah yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. absolutely this movie is fucking so much fun hell yeah fucking cheesy 90s horror and this yeah, movie what you- no fault no fault didn't know how to end that just i guess just dot dot dot
2: period i was just thinking like as i was a kid in the 90s and so parts of this are familiar and many of these touchstones don't escape me but it is like a neat little time capsule so i think it's fun for watching in that sense too
1: it is it is sort of weird and that it is a movie that is in some ways meant to be taken so seriously but to enjoy it you can't really take it that seriously because like there are elements of this that you're like all right that's very 90s all right. Like there's, there's a lot of, you know, those, those first couple minutes of our, you know, three gangsters sort of on the doorstep chit chatting about whatever before they go in this place. I was like, I was almost like, oh, I don't know about this, guys. I might, <laughs> might, might all the out of this one. But then, you know, once, once, once the mortician pops up, you can't look away. So, I that's an, oh, yeah. He's fucking magnetic.
0: Well, Jeremy, your your description of a movie that is somewhat intended to take ter- seriously, but kind of impossible to take seriously, I think is a very, very good explanation of like description of this movie. Because, And I think that that's the, the part that is confusing to people who aren't really like ready for this kind of genre. And, you know, especially like when I was in high school and watching horror, I like stuff to be serious because I was, you know, I was reading Vertigo comics, too. And I wanted stuff to be serious and weird. And I didn't get like the horror comedy so much until like I was in college and I kind of like, you know, got over myself a little bit.
1: Yeah. But it is it is tough because you have to be like, oh yeah, police brutality is a very serious and important problem. And especially at this point, it was like something very much on people's mind. Not that it's yeah. not now, but like, you know, it was very active at that point. And it's just like, Yes, that is a serious problem. What is happening to this character is very serious. Now, he does rise from the dead by grabbing a man by the nuts and pulling him underground, <laughs> And he does crucify movie- another man with syringes and turn him into a painting.
3: This is a movie that wants you to both emotionally understand the horror and bru- of police brutality and also appreciate the fine comedy of a man receiving grievous, grievous damage to his nutsack.
4: I,
0: yes. I mean, but this also, movie is the equivalent so it's of It's a real
3: emotional complexity line. It's very, very ancient Greek in that kind of way.
1: It's the equivalent of watching any performance by Danny Trejo, really. Like, yeah. It's like he's yeah. deadly serious, and that man is scary, but also he's pretty funny.
0: Okay. Yes. And I, this part of that, like, I think it's why the horror movies like this and, and like fun horror that actually discusses serious shit is important just like how comics will yeah comics have to reduce these serious issues but it does help understanding a little bit like as yeah. long as you're not expecting this to be nuanced which it isn't you know like it's it's just like you can't critique this like it is a new york Times or not new york, like a new yorker article that delves into the you know whatever like it's It's comic book violence and and like horror fun. And, you know, I think that being more serious, uh, you know, I think it's important to also talk about serious things in a little bit more of a casual way in certain circles, you know, as long as everybody's down. Because otherwise it's going to be like the domestic violence, you know, we don't talk about it. Or the, you know, the why, you know, just presenting somebody with this, comparison of you've killed your friends and innocent people and you know and you may have killed the same number of black people as this white supremacist i don't think that that's the case but i feel like that's a yeah i think that's hyperbolic but you know i i feel like those are i totally lost my train of thought holy shit you
2: serious things and without you, the gravitas
0: you.
4: there yeah, goes no, the yeah. thought i'm so
0: sorry i was station. just thinking so much about everything all at once I went into a different dimension but yeah i think that 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 it's
3: we know and we love yeah
0: thank you so much thank you everybody no i think it's important that we start the discussion somewhere and it's also important that we have the discussion on different uh media and like in different situations like you know x-men talks about a lot the x-men was oblique about it because you know it wasn't like power man right but X Men was was like, you know, racism sucks. Yeah. But sure it was you? also like, but what instead if if race was like a human like homo ex Xaviers or whatever, that's that's a totally different story.
2: <laughs> You're my favorite person.
0: Really, <laughs> just...
3: racism sucks. But Homo
1: Xaviers,
0: they're like a different, a different species.
1: What if instead of black people, they were <laughs> they were attractive teenage white people with superpowers? Then oh. wouldn't racism suck? Right?
0: Now, isn't that what white mutants are called, Homo Xaviers?
1: No, yeah, Homo sapien it, no superior. Notes. I thought you're killing Was. it.
0: Oh, I love that Homo sapiens superior. Although Homo Xaviers, I think, is my favorite They didn't uh, get their like I know
2: un- name until Professor X came. Well, was like you could call them Homo Xaviers.
0: I'm just saying. Look, yeah. I think
1: that's an underground punk band, the Homo Xaviers.
0: Now, well, Homo Xaviers, who, who, when you create your band, just you don't need to pay us. This is your. This is your. This has already existed could.
1: just by you saying the words.
0: Yeah, you do have so- to
1: subscribe to the Patreon though.
0: Yes. yeah no please yeah. and also just give us a shout out that's all my that's all i ask that's is this a real i thought out.
3: this was a fictional band within the x-men universe are we talking through like dimensions I'm what not, is yes. happening in this episode
0: i told you i was traveling dimensions are we talking about say. tales from the hood fucking what's going on i'm saying it's important to talk about racism directly and then Homo Xavier's, the band. When you form, once you hear this episode and form your band with this name, give us a shout out. That's all I ask.
1: Or I'm like a Voltron of gay Xavier's.
5: <laughs> all right, uh, right
1: now. I don't know.
5: So there's a reason I watched this film four times. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right? I- I figure out what it was myself at first. I I know I was talking to a friend of mine, and I mentioned that I was going to be on this podcast about film, and he talked about the ending. He's like, "Let's admit it; that's the only good part of the movie." And something in me got really, you know, a little apprehensive about that. I'm like, "No, I, I think there's more to this movie," and 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 I think it's awkward. It's an awkward film. It's 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 definitely a product of its time, you know, and it's. An, definitely not as evolved I think as we kind of like use horror these days but compared to a lot of what other stuff people were doing in the 90s with horror I would say it was it was pretty advanced for that and you know I, I think I think I think your film history is important even when it's when it's for something you know for a genre that maybe isn't quite as respect it and uh, even though I personally think horror should be respected more but it, it's 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 good to have like this kind of tidbit of, of film history I, I, I think it's if nothing else you know everyone will get something out of it even if you don't walk away with like kind of lessons of race and this is how kind of the the, the diaspora was in America at the time you'll still come away with something entertaining you know it's definitely won't fail to entertain you
1: I don't think yeah I mean I, I think the biggest problem with it, other than sort of lack of female characters, is the the very, it, it's like the 90s gang equivalent of like Rusty kind of really writing like, hello, fellow kids. This script every time that the, the gangsters are on screen, it's just like, oh, okay. This yeah. Is, this is what they sound like. But I, I guess on that front, what would we recommend people check out from, you know, from here? Jay, what, what do you have to recommend? So I would actually
5: recommend two films and, and probably back-to-back if you can. My My first one is Sweet, Sweet Bag's Badass Song. It's, you know, the first split movie kind of took off the black exploitation movement. And then... As a supplement to to that, I would recommend the 2003 autobiographical drama called Badass that was done by, you know, Mario Van Peebles and based on kind of his experiences in childhood growing up around that set. Because I I, I feel like that gives you a real quick and dirty, you know, look at what it was to kind of like uh, be Black in a filmmaker and not having any kind of resources Hollywood was interested in giving you at the time and maybe seeing how other movies that then came out of that, not only in the black exploitation era, but also like in the height of the nineties when you had all this stuff like, you know, Menace to Society and, you know, Tales from the Hood and just
2: everything else. So those are like my recommendations. Nice. Awesome. Emmanuel, what have you got? I always struggle with this and try to think of other states. And so what I gave up with this week, looking at a lot of this, how it's built around the stories surrounding these bodies, and how each are almost like lessons to the frame narrative. I was thinking of Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down. It's a YA novel. A kid's older brother gets shot and killed, and he wants to get revenge. And so he finds his brother's weapon, gets on the elevator. But at each floor of the elevator, folks from his past who are now dead get on and try and counsel him. And so It's kind of an interesting narrative where... The frame is the travel down this elevator and how it takes so long to get there. But you have all of these different tangential stories dealing with gun violence and dealing with violence in the inner city. So, and it's Jason Reynolds. And so it's just, it's great. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds
0: good. Especially with the elevator, those are especially terrifying to me. So, yeah. Elevator My mom says, a- yeah, as you <laughs> say, the trust box. I don't want to go in the trust box. <laughs> I don't trust it.
1: Well, well, what what do you trust, Emily? What, what do you want to recommend?
0: I I was thinking a lot about the various parts of the first season of American Gods. There's some really good stuff there. And in terms of like the coming to America, there's a really great sequence. To be part with Anansi is really great. And the Anubis, there's there's an actual Anubis in that one. But, and you know, the story of the, I think the story of the main character. But yeah, the, the only the first season of the second season kind of gets off track. But, and I'm enjoying Cabinet of Curiosities, which is another great anthology, which is the Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities. I've mentioned that. What I really want to recommend is that if you are a fan, you if you want to watch this movie and you want a good pairing for this movie to learn how a great filmmaker came into his own, just watch Key Peel. Peele. Because this movie... Yeah is in that dna like you can see the dna and how it's it's developed in the work of uh, jordan peele yeah. and it's a really good way to show the the development Devin. of horror and if you don't want to just watch horror noir and you want to really get into it that's you know your homework is to watch that and TN peel and you know and then horror noir and then all the jordan peele stuff.
1: yeah um awesome ben what have you got Demon Night,
0: fucking go watch Demon Night.
1: Do watch Demon Night. We do recommend that. and then listen to our episode on it because we did a whole episode on it. Yeah, it's great.
3: Give us downloads, five stars, fuck it, whatever. Engagements and shit are good. I don't know. We <laughs> don't
0: have advertisers. We're really funny in that episode. I mean, we're in, we're funny in every episode. It's a good episode, but that episode, you like, if you just need some infectious laughter, listen to that episode. And watch yeah, the
1: movie. Yeah, what I want recommend is, I mean, we talked quite a bit about Horror Noir, the documentary. That is obviously something people should watch. They do talk about this film as well as several of the other films we've mentioned as we've been going through this. They did last year release a Horror Noir anthology movie series as well. It is very much like this in that it is uneven. There are some pretty good short films and there are some less great short films some that have, you know, conceptual merit and some that you're like, a, I don't know how this ended up in here. But, you know, it's it's got some real good stuff and it's got some, you know, newer directors and writers in there. And they are all, you know, black writers and directors telling horror stories. So if that is what you come to Dales from the Hood looking for, then you can find more of it there. And, you know, much more recent by about 20 years, almost almost 30 getting up there. But yeah, that is, that's what I'd recommend you check out. That's a, a lot of good recommendations from folks here. That's going to do it for us. Jay, can you let people know where they can find you and find out more about your work online? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at
5: CynicalAngst. And, you know, you can reach me for questions, comments, requests at jjj20 at columbia.edu. Fantastic.
1: And Emmanuel, what about you? I'm on Twitter at
0: Elipium2. Awesome. awesome.
1: And as for the rest of us, oh, what are you doing? Sorry, my document is crazy. Know what I'm doing? That should
3: be clear by
1: now. What are you doing? I should Uh, know what I'm doing. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram. And you can find her at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben McConn and on their website at BenConConComics.com. You can pick up all of their books, including you can pre-order their new novel, L. Campbell wins the weekend of their debut graphic novel from Scholastic. Go order it so that uh, you can get those pre-orders in. Pre-orders are important. We would love it if you did that pre-ordering. Um,
0: Please. Yes. Or else. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: pre-orders, super important for a novel. So that's L. Campbell wins their weekend coming out October 17th. Give it a pre-order. Yes.
0: Tupper art as well.
1: Yes, the, the, the cover deck, art is, yeah. on, is on Ben's Twitter right now. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com. You can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, on our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at pod. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to get in contact with you and we would love for you to leave us reviews of this podcast. Five-star reviews help us find more listeners, help us get out there to a wider audience. Thanks again to Jay and Emmanuel for joining us, guys. It was a great time of really uh, talking to you about this one. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
5: having us, and I enjoyed it because I, I, I legitimately have some love for Tales from the Hood.
1: <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm, I know we do now, too. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks as always to Ben and Emily, and thank you to all of you for listening. Until next time, stay horrified.